Well, good morning. Hey, welcome to Bridgewater. We're glad you're here. Uh, my name is Matt. It's a joy to be with you uh, this morning. And uh, as we are in uh, the final week of our reset series here, if you've missed any of them, as you heard in the feed there, you can jump in the podcast and catch up on the series. Uh, but what we've been talking about over the last uh, couple weeks is uh, how do we get to the change in our life that we want to see as we're uh, kind of evaluating our life at the turn of the new year and we're looking at some things we want to chase or change or pursue. Uh, how do you get there? Is there a pathway to do that? And we kind of started the series by asking uh, the question, what does God think is possible for your new year? As you consider what could be true this coming year, uh, what would God say for you for that? And we talked about how he doesn't just give us the desire to change. He gives us the power to change uh, through the Holy Spirit. And, and I challenge you to pick a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, so love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. And so I just want to kind of ask you, and there's no way for me to get these answers now, but if you're walking by me and want to share, I just love to hear how that's going for you. Uh, if you, maybe you, you set out to work on uh, gentleness, how it's going for you, how the Lord has challenged you. Uh, it has been really good for me. I have a screensaver on my phone that says kindness, and I have had to apologize a few less times than normal uh, because I look down at my phone and go, oh, right, don't say that. Uh, so it's been really helpful for me and just a good conscious reminder. I hope it's been encouraging to you. Uh, and so this week, what we want to do is kind of wrap up the whole series as we look at uh, how do you not just start change, right? Because starting change is easy, right? It's easy to, to say, you know what, I want to eat healthy and to eat healthy for a day or two. What's difficult is to have a lifestyle change. You maybe wanted to work on uh, being more devoted to your, your uh, devotions or whatever it is, right? Like it's easy to do for a couple days, but to have a lifestyle of devotion requires uh, a certain character quality of consistency and perseverance to get there. And so what we want to talk about today is how do you uh, not only start the change that God has for you, but walk in a life of change to be a new person? Because uh, that's what Jesus went to the cross, wasn't just to purchase uh, forgiveness. He did that for you, but it was also that we may be restored and renewed into a new uh, creation. And so uh, we need help in that. But we also recognize what the date on the calendar is uh, today. And it is uh, really interesting that this Wednesday, uh, in a recent poll, they, they realized that this coming Wednesday, February 1st, is the National Quit Your Resolution Day. Um, they discovered it really only takes 32 days for you to give up on your change. And interestingly enough, what this uh, survey also found is that 68% of people already quit before this day. They just weren't willing to admit that they quit uh, until this day. And I have to ask the question, like three weeks ago or whenever you decided to change, you were amped about it. You were convinced that this thing needed to change in your life. You were willing to do whatever it took, but then... Three weeks later, and maybe just two weeks for you, you decided it was a little too costly. It required a little too much of you. Something got in the way of you pursuing a life of change. And so they actually asked the question of what were some of the things that stopped you from pursuing uh, this resolution, whatever it was that you might have decided to change. And they, they gave four reasons, and I want to share them with you. The first one was just a self-aware uh, lack of discipline. Basically, they just said, I don't have what it takes. It's too hard. It requires too much. Uh, and this is an honest answer, but it's, it's kind of an easy scapegoat uh, because anything worth pursuing in life is hard. It requires something of us. And so really, this was over 50% of people who just said, ah, I didn't want to put the energy into it. And so uh, this was one of the reasons. The second reason they gave was a busy schedule. Or just too busy to pursue it, to change it, whatever. Uh, and there's a variety of reasons for this busyness, but really they're both discipline problems. 
because we, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. Um, if you have small children, you probably see most of those hours on the clock uh, because you're up all the time. But uh, we all have the same hours and, and people figure out how to do it. So obviously there is time for it. The question is just, do we make time to pursue that change? Uh, I, I heard this all the time when I worked as a trainer. People would come in for consultations and be like, oh, I just don't have time to exercise. And I would listen and I'd hear their schedule. And then I tell them the same story about an individual who was a client of mine. Uh, she, was, she was incredible. She was the president of a very large commercial real estate company. She served as a president on three other boards, uh, heavily involved in her community. Uh, she had the elderly husband, and she was a primary caretaker for him and his failing health. Uh, and she was 72 years old. And, and over the two years I trained her, she almost never missed a workout. And beyond that, she actually used to really frustrate me because I realized she was more disciplined in her time than I was and just more disciplined than I was in general because she would get up and run two miles every single day regardless of the weather, regardless of the ice. So negative five, she's out there running, and I'm looking at her going, I, it's not me. I wish it was. But I tell that story to people, and I, I use it often, because we always have time for the things that are important, just whether we're willing to allot it to it and pursue it. So that was the second one. The third one was peer pressure. Uh, basically, it was societal or peer pressure. People said, you know, I was trying to change, but all my friends kept dragging me down, right? Like you... Maybe you're trying to change some habits, leave behind a way of life, perhaps, and your buddies are like, oh, you think you're better than us now because you're not doing this? And, and you just get kind of shade thrown at you, or you're committing to not gossiping, and everybody who you used to gossip with is like, what, you're too good to hang out with us now? And you're just over here saying, no, I don't want to gossip, and oh, is that all we are, gossips? And what happens is people just fold because they feel bad. They don't want to be judged for trying to be better but people are judging them for trying to be better because they feel bad that the people are convicting them by their desire to change. And so people just folded because they weren't people cheering them on, which is why we talk about all the time between small groups and the people you choose to surround yourself with are so important because there are so many voices that are going to discourage you from changing and growing and pursuing what God has for you that we have to have people in our life who aren't just impressed with us and think we're awesome, but are willing to cheer us on to godliness and to the change that we need. It's so, so important. Here's the fourth one. It's we're going to spend most of our time this morning. I thought this was super fascinating. It only takes four things to go wrong to officially be deemed a bad day. Now, what happens when you have a bad day is you perhaps feel entirely unmotivated to pursue the change that was in front of you, and those bad days makes us want to go to a place of comfort. Well, the place of comfort and familiarity may be what you're trying to leave behind, but in those moments of frustration, it's really hard when you've had a bad day. Well, what's really interesting thing about this is, is I consider my life and what would qualify as a bad day, I'm pretty sure if I lived by this standard, I'd have a bad day every day. Uh, in fact, I, I preached a very similar message to this this week at a Christian university uh, for their chapel. And <clears throat> before I even got there, it was like just, it was a catastrophic morning. I, I slept through my alarm. I didn't really eat a good breakfast. So I was running a little bit behind. I got all the way down there. It was about an hour away from me and realized I'm preaching at a Bible college and I forgot my Bible. Um, it's back home. Thankfully, David Wyman showed up and rescued me yet again and gave me his Bible. Um, something super embarrassing happened before I went up. And I hadn't even got on stage and like five things had gone wrong that morning. And I was joking with them and saying, and I have to go to the dentist this afternoon. So that's six. Uh, I'm pretty sure my day is ruined. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, man, I wonder if that's why so many people think their life is so bad. 
Because it takes so little to throw us off course. It takes so little to discourage us from pursuing change. But what I want to talk about this morning is what if we saw those obstacles and those difficulties and, and maybe even failures, not as obstacles, but as just opportunities for us to pivot, change direction, and to grow from. I think we see failure so often out of the wrong lens. We, we see it as far more weighty, perhaps, than it really even needs to be. And so uh, I want to help us navigate that because sometimes the failures that we are so afraid of aren't even real. They're perceived failure. They're potential failure. It's why we won't even try for resolutions or changing because we're terrified of failing in the first place. So I can't fail if I don't start, right? Interestingly enough, I polled the whole audience about who, who had done New Year's resolutions. Not a single hand went up in the room. I thought, that's interesting. We don't even want to perceive failure, so we're not even going to try the challenge. But that's not what God has for us. God has power to overcome. He has change in front of us. So I want to talk through this morning how we can get the courage up to face our failures and keep moving forward. I want to consider a piece of history here. As you look back in your Bibles and you look at the ancient nation of Israel, God designated the ancient nation of Israel to be a light to the nation. So as they walked and lived according to God's law that he had given to Moses, the people were supposed to look in on Israel and go, wow, this is what God's love, mercy, justice looks like in tangible reality, right? Jesus said a similar thing to the church. He said, the world will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. That when people looked in on followers of God, they could get a picture of who God was and they would be intrigued and pull in and listen about God's love. Well, that was their designation. That was not the result. What happened largely was uh, they were more of an example of what rebellion looks like, of what running from God. Not only did they ignore God's laws, which were life-giving and meant to lead them to fruitfulness, they ran in the total opposite direction. They worshiped other gods. They began to devalue human life. They did uh, things so wicked I can't repeat them because of the little ears in the room. And God warned them for hundreds and hundreds of years that the path they were on was one of destruction because that's what sin always leads us to. And they didn't listen. Now, they'd have moments of listening, but they didn't turn and repent. The word repent literally means to be going in this direction, to realize it's wrong, and to change directions back towards what is right. And God said, would you repent and you would find the way to life? Well, the nation had split into the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. The northern kingdom got wiped out by God's judgment. He used the nation and said, okay, if you're not going to listen, here is the full weight of your sin, and this is what it looks like. The, the southern kingdom should have paid attention. They kind of did for a little bit, and then said, you know what, God, we're going to go our own way. We want what we want. And I said, okay. Well, here is the weight of your sin. Here is judgment. So in 586 BC, he used the nation of Babylon to bring about that judgment as was good and right because he needs to stop sin before it completely destroys us. And sometimes we've got to rethink how we think about judgment. When God brings judgment, he does it as a good father who's trying to prevent us from further harm and in hopes that stopping us Sometimes it takes a lot of pain to stop us. Sometimes it takes a lot of discomfort before we're willing to realize we need to change. God brought that in hopes that they would repent. 
So the nation of Babylon comes in, basically wipes out the city of Jerusalem. A few stragglers were left behind, and a man uh, began to walk the streets and write some poems and poetry, uh, laying out the pain and heartache as he saw the ramifications of unrepentant sin in the people, and he began to just weep. We're going to pick up in Lamentations chapter 3. It's in the Old Testament. It's a little bit past halfway in your Bibles. Um, If you don't have one, we'd love to put one in your hands for free at the Welcome Center. Uh, I am going to be reading out of the NLT today. Uh, Typically, we read out of the NIV, but uh, Lamentations chapter 3. In the first two chapters, what you see is just this gut-wrenching heartache. He talks about the sin. He talks about the weight of the sin. Chapter 3, he starts to turn the corner a little bit in his emotions, but I want to read for you uh, Lamentations chapter 3, starting in verse 19. Says the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. You hear his heart and his emotions in this. As I think about my suffering, as I think about the difficulty of this situation, it sits heavy in my gut. I feel uh, the grief of this pain. He says, I will never forget how awful this feeling is. And and there's another translation that says, in bitterness and gall, I remember my pain. Talk about failure. (laughs) It's not like they ate a donut when they committed not to eat a donut or went on an Amazon shopping spree when they said they wouldn't spend any more money. They walked in full rebellion and he's feeling the weight of it. The regret, the pain, the remorse, and maybe you have made some decisions that have left you with that same feeling. As you consider a period of your life or some choices you made, you just don't even want to think about it. You don't even want to go to those memories because of how painful they are that you just maybe pretend they don't even exist or you just kind of whitewash over them. And that's the moment he's sitting in. But that's not the moment he stays in. Look at verse 21. He turns the corner on his emotions. It says, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. I love that line. Because having hope requires a little bit of courage, doesn't it? It feels risky to hope because you've walked through life and you know it's difficult and you know there's loss and you know there's hardship. And yet he found the courage to yet again find hope to not give up on the difficulty of the circumstances. He was willing to look at probably one of the most painful seasons of his life and say, this is not the end. I will dare to be hopeful. But it's not blind optimism. It's not like those uberly annoying people. And if this is you, I'm sorry. I don't actually find you annoying. I'm jealous of you. Who just are happy all the time. How's life? It's great. What, your leg's missing. It's awesome. Like, I don't know what kind of vitamins you take. If you could tell me, I would love to take them, right? He, he's not, not like that. He's looking real pain in the face and says, I have a hope that it's anchored in something far deeper than just my own willpower. And because of that, I dare to find courage again. I'm going to lay out for us this morning out of these passages some, some anchor points of hope that I hope for you will allow you to take courage, to continue to pursue a life of change that God has laid before you. Verse 22, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Can you imagine? Picture with me. You're standing in the middle of war-torn Jerusalem. 
loss unimaginable. You can read for yourself how, how devastating it was at the end of Jeremiah and in the beginning of Lamentations. Awful. And the words off of his tongue are the faithful love of the Lord never ends. In the middle of our heartache, in the middle of our pain, well, I hear so often, God, how could you? God, you must not be loving if this. God, do you even see my pain that I'm in? God, where are you? But the words of the author tell me he sees something beyond his present circumstances, that he understands this snapshot of life, as painful as it is, is not the full picture of who God is. And for so many of us, we have defined God by the most painful snapshot of our life that has begun to filter everything we think about God through that moment. When all it was was a moment. It is not the true definition of all of his love. And the author realizes that. And in the middle of that moment, he says his mercies never cease. I think the reason we can find hope to believe that God can bring that change is that even when we fail, God's love never fails. Even when we screw up, and this is tough for those of us who live in a performance-based mentality when it comes to God, that God's love for you is not determined by how good you are or how bad you are. That how you perform Christian duties, how you perform devotions, how you perform uh, being a parent or whatever it is, it has no weight on God's affection and love for you. And that's so hard to comprehend because it's like any, not like any other love we've ever known. Frankly, it's not how we even love ourselves because we're constantly judging ourselves by a set of standards. And we all have different standards, but you're choosing whether you're valuable, whether you're lovely, whether you're whatever value it is for you, fill in the blank. You're always evaluating yourself against that set of standards. And what, what the scriptures are telling us is that God doesn't have that measuring stick on your life. So when he looks at you, he doesn't see your greatest failures or your worst screw-ups. When he looks at you, if you put your faith in Jesus, is the righteousness of Jesus placed on you. Which is really hard for me to grasp. I've been a Christian for almost two decades. I've been a pastor for a few years now. And that concept is hard for my heart to sit with. Because I can value myself and judge myself based on what you think about me. I can value myself and judge myself based on what those that are important think about me. And I began to feel my self-worth and value go up and down based off those things. And that doesn't always leave me in an encouraged place. When I get criticized, if I don't have my heart anchored in God, I'll begin to think that I'm not lovable or whatever it is. You fill in the blank. But if I can really sit in that place, believing not just up here, but here, there's no performance for God. There's no measuring up. Why? Because if that was true, none of us would ever receive God's love. We are all sinners, all imperfect. But it's not about my performance. It's about what Jesus did on the cross for me. I think we have to reshape how we think about success and failure. Winston Churchill says it this way. Success is not final right? Like there's, there, maybe you're in here this morning and you're crushing life. Like you are doing great. You're feeling good. Uh, you're, you're pursuing and, and getting all the change you want. It's really easy in that moment to begin to think that God loves you more, that he's more proud of you, that he's more impressed with you, uh, that you're closer to his heart, right? Like 
we can begin to think we're doing pretty good. What he says and what scripture says is that that's not the defining mark in your life. But neither is your failure. Your failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Otherwise, we will be perpetually living life stuck in a really vicious cycle of trying to work up courage, not feeling like we measure up, feeling really bad about ourselves, and deciding to go one of two ways. Do we run back to Jesus? Or do we go back to what's comfortable and what we know because we feel like a failure? Let's keep reading. Verse 23. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I love how uh, he states that here. That his mercies, the opportunity to have your mess-ups and your screw-ups covered. The opportunity for a new start. It is a fresh each morning that you and I can have access to a fresh dose of the necessary mercy to pursue the change we want. And you know what that means for us? It means that change, the new version of you that you're really banking on showing up one day, it's not some future reality out on the horizon. Like I can fall into this trap so easily to think that the, the, the life I want is out there. It's in a new environment with new friends, a new place, new job, new, 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 new. You know what happens when you show up there? You're still you with all the same disappointments, all the same expectations, all the same heartache, all the same memories. The offer of Jesus is that the only place you have to go for that new start is the foot of the cross. And it's not tomorrow. It's not in a week. It's not when you've cleaned yourself up enough to feel worthy enough to come near God. It's new every morning. Call it the Groundhog Day of Grace. What if you lived that way? What if in your journey, and maybe you're here and you're not even a Christian, and you feel that need to go to church and clean up a little bit before God will accept you, what if you allowed that gap between your failures and God's mercy to become shorter and shorter and shorter? What if after you flew off the handle in anger, it didn't take you a week to come back and apologize and repent, but it took you five minutes? Well, you can only really get there if you believe God's mercy is new regardless if you really believe that his grace for you is greater than your greatest screw-up. Because sometimes, and this is weird because it's not even true, sometimes we can be convinced that if we wait a week, God kind of forgets about it. <laughs> if we wait a week, the edge of it kind of wears off and maybe it's all good. But you don't have to. You don't have to punish yourself for a week. Why? Because Jesus already took your punishment. So that right now, you could have the mercy necessary. You see, every day is a chance for a reset. That's our second reason why we can have hope this morning. Every day is a chance for you to go, you know what? I screwed up. I failed. I messed up. I get to start new right now because his mercy is new every morning. But can we just be honest this morning? If you've been trying to walk this journey for any length of time, this can feel a little hypocritical, doesn't it? Right? Because like yesterday, you said you weren't going to do it again. Yesterday, last week, you committed to not respond that way. And then what happened? You did. Again. And you felt bad and you apologized. And then you came back. And I'm not going to do it again. I promise. It's the last time. And then what happened? You did it again. 
and you do that long enough, it starts to feel a little bit, a little bit hypocritical. Does this, does this mean like, do I, I don't even trust myself to not fail again. Does God trust me to not fail again? And I think that's where we get sideways. Because God's not worried about if you fail again or not. He already knows we will. He doesn't want us to. But he already made provision through Jesus knowing we would. So that the final statement over your life isn't a collection of failures. The final statement over your life is a Savior who covered your failures. And so I get to run back to you and you get to run back to Jesus and say, God, would you cover me again? Thank you for already paying for this. Remove it. New mercy. Thank you, God. I get to continue pursuing you. You know how you're guaranteed to not win in life? By to stop getting back up. By to stop pursuing that grace. By to stop putting yourself at the foot of the cross. You know how you're pretty well guaranteed to find the freedom in life? It's to keep getting back up. To keep going to the foot of the cross. Why? Because God is far more committed to your godliness and your freedom than you are. And last time I checked, he's still sitting on the throne. He's still all powerful. He still has overcome the sin. And even in this moment, if you don't feel powerful enough to overcome it because you've been trying and you've been trying and you've been trying, listen, he already defeated it. So victory might not be coming to you right now, but it's there if you're willing to hang on. And sometimes we just have to do what he did in verse 24. I say to myself, The Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I hope in him. You hear that? So I got to preach this one to me. I'm not talking to anybody else. He says, I say to myself, I imagine him like staring in the well because there wasn't a mirror. I just staring in the water, looking at his reflection, saying, I say to myself, I preach to my downcast heart. The Lord is my inheritance. I know this season is difficult. I know this trial is hard. I know that failure seems huge. But in the end, I get Jesus. And you can take everything I have, everything I love, and if I get Jesus, I have enough. And if we could believe that, we wouldn't feel the loss of failure so deeply. We'd see them as opportunities to find Jesus. You see, even your failures can lead you to Jesus, which is the third thing for us here this morning. Even your failures, even your regrets. And I would go as far to say, perhaps that is the very thing it was going to require in your life for you to come to the place of surrender. That if it hadn't been for that difficulty, if it hadn't been for that pain, you would have never looked up because we're pretty good at convincing ourselves we're self-sufficient. I'm pretty good at convincing myself I have a handle on life until something falls apart and I realize I don't. And can I tell you, it is in those moments where I looked my failures in the eye and the pain and the shame and all of it that I found Jesus the most that his love was the most tangible to me, that his word spoke life to my weary bones. Why? Because I've realized I have the Savior I need, and it's not me, it's him. See, if you could look at your regrets and failures and your setbacks and your difficulties as opportunities to find Jesus and not run from Jesus, in fact, we have this, for us here, that your failures, they don't have to drive you from God. 
but it can actually drive you to God. If you're willing. And what you'll find there is not a scolding, not a shaming, uh, not a you should have known better conversation. That's the one we give ourselves. The one unconditional love gives us is, I know. I was prepared for this. Yeah, it was costly. That's why Jesus went to the cross. You're forgiven. You're free to go. What? Talk about a motivation to live differently. Talk about a courage to hope again when that's the type of love I know God has for me. See, there's this beautiful promise here in verse 25. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. I think if we were to write this verse for ourselves, we'd probably find ourselves saying like, things like, the Lord is good to those who are good. The Lord is good to those who know how to do what's right. The Lord is good to those who have it all together. The Lord is good to those who make it to church every week. The Lord is good to those who don't have any big failures in their life. The Lord is good to those who are not me. But that's not what it says, is it? The Lord is good to those who who depend on him. The Lord is good to those who realize they need Jesus because they get him. And if you have him, you have enough. If you have him, you have everything you need for those who would search for him. Could I encourage you this morning that perhaps the setback you feel like is stopping you is the very thing God planted in your life that you would begin to search for him again? And maybe you're here and and you've been a Christian for a long time and you go, yeah, man, I know all this. Okay, you might know this up here, but do you know this deep in your heart? In those moments, do you turn to not what you think about you or what others think about you, but what God has spoken to be true over you? I was counseling with an individual uh, recently and as I was hearing him pour out his heart, I didn't talk for the first 45 minutes. He just kind of laid it all out there to me and as I'm hearing him, I'm drawing some strings of things that he's saying and I'm, I'm hearing perform, perform, perform. I just have to prove, I have to prove, I have to prove. And it was plain to me that he was deriving his worth and value from what others thought about his achievements and this and that. And as I was getting ready to, to share basically my sermon with him without preaching at him, I paused and I looked in the FaceTime, which is the only way we could connect was FaceTime. And I thought, I'm talking to me. I'm just using a different measuring stick. I might not be using the things he's using to determine his worth and value. But my first move isn't to derive my worth and value out of the promise of the cross. My first move is, is to derive out of those other things. And I began to share with him. I realized I was sharing to myself that the only thing I need is to believe what the word of God speaks over me. That the cross has the final say in my life. Not me, not you, not my greatest critics, the cross. And so my challenge for you is probably one of the least profound, least spiritually deep things you're going to hear all week. It's this, don't give up. You think, wow, I came all this time for that. Can I say that I just, I think we overcomplicate Christianity so often. We overcomplicate our walk with Jesus. It's just, it's just not that complicated. Does God want us to not sin? Absolutely. He absolutely wants us to leave behind sin. But you know what he wants just as much? For you to come back to him when you did sin. For you to not give up against your wrestle, against your sin. 
Maybe you're here this morning, and if you're totally honest, you feel ready to give up on that fight. You feel like a hypocrite, like I said earlier, or you just feel powerless to beat it. You know how I can guarantee you you will never beat it? If you stop trying. If you just give up, if you just surrender to the fight, of of course you're going to fail at it. But God has perfection for you. Now, we won't see that perfection until eternity, but he certainly has freedom for you here and now. Don't give up the fight. Maybe you're here this morning and um, your marriage feels, feels like you're ready to give up. The first 10 years have been awful, awful. Falling out of love, love has failed between you and your spouse. Can I, can I tell you that the mercies of Jesus are new every morning? You know what it might take? It might take years of new morning mercies to get there. But he has it for us if we don't give up. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're ready to give up on God. You're in the, the beginning of this chapter staring at the wreckage of your life going, I just don't see a way forward. I just don't see God's love here. I don't understand how this is true. Can I encourage you, do not give up? <laughs> that this is just a snapshot of your life and you have no idea what he has planned for you. He hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you. His love is enough for you. If you have questions about what it means to find and follow God, we love to talk to you. You can fill out one of the communication cards, talk with somebody uh, that brought you here because so many people have been in the exact position you might be finding yourself in and found God's love to be enough. Maybe you're here this morning and this feels terrifying to admit in church, but you're wrestling with life itself. You, you feel ready to give up. Can I tell you that God has an incredible future and a hope and a story for you that he wants to continue to write? That the redemption and the rescue and the new life available to you is greater than you can see in this moment? And I know this moment feels like everything to you. I know this moment feels so big. But through God's grace, it will be just simply a road mark where you got to experience God's love and grace so profoundly that it was so painful, but his love was so great that it changed the entire trajectory of your life. That's my story. And it can be yours too. We remember the words of Paul in Galatians chapter 6. It says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. Read it with me. If we do not give up. It's just not that complicated. And he gives us the power to pursue the life of change that he has for us. If you're here today and you feel the need to talk to somebody, to have somebody pray with you, uh, we would love to be there for you to do that. You can find me, find uh, David, anybody wearing a blue name tag. Um, Let's continue to pursue Jesus and find him to be everything we need. Let's pray these things. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that we get a book like Lamentations. It just talks about the reality and the pain of life. And I thank you that wherever we are today, maybe we are here in a deep amount of pain, God, that you haven't left us. Your steadfast love never ceases. I pray that we could believe that to be true today. Lord, if we're here and the good news of Jesus has grown stale to us, It's just routine, and we're not moved by what you did at the cross. God, I pray that your word would renew our minds, that when we think about you, our hearts leap 
with joy, that we don't feel shame or remorse or regret when we think about you, but we leap with joy because you have accepted us and you love us. God, I pray that you would remove the lies that we speak to ourselves and the lies of the enemy, that even in our failure, we would run to you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.